Happy Sabbath. It was asked and collaborated with men's ministry that this sermon, so to speak, as well as that prayer, would be directed towards the men of the church. So in all intention as well, the message today relates to everybody, but in relation to, in proximity to Father's Day as well as just to have a time for us to reflect off of godly men, this topic today be thus about men. Before we pray, the title is called The Path Less Traveled. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father God, I want to pray right now. As one who speaks and is being used by you, dear Lord, please, dear Father God, say the words that you want. And dear Father Lord, we pray that we will be the men and women that you want us to be. We thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. In 2008, while in law school, a young man by the name of Brett McKay started a website, more for fun. And that website turned into something more than he expected. It had an interesting name, The Art of Manliness. And it talked about various aspects, as he quotes, of being a man. It grew more than he expected to the point that he actually had to bring his wife on board. And as it worked out, they exhausted ideas such as life, family, careers, dress, health, you name it. There was a place to learn a new t- to tie a new knot in your tie, or to learn an old custom, or to figure out a life hack. It was a place and an aspect, a site that created inroads into something that seemed to be voided. As countless readers read through the countless hours of research that Brett and his wife would put into the site, they came upon historical figures who reflected on what it meant to be a man. One topic, one such blog entry that I would like to touch on was called Art of Manliness from Andrew Jackson. Though, mind you, I understand Andrew Jackson is a controversial person, but there were some good points to be extracted. Point number one stated that your circumstances do not define you. Andrew Jackson excuse me, Andrew Jackson. His father passed away at the age of two. His mom could not sustain him any longer and passed him on to family members. He bounced around. He had to serve, so to speak. And he didn't have the quote-unquote best start in life. Point number two, they said to cultivate your leadership. It was pointed out that Andrew Jackson turned into a great leader on the battlefield. 
a great, so great of a leader, and taking upon the things that he learned from his lacking, he became a fatherly figure to the men that were under him. That figure turned into a person that the men would follow to the ends of the earth. Number three, honor, and honor of those you love, which was a very big and very pivotal thing for Andrew. He would point out, and has been quoted, that dishonoring his wife, as he quotes, was like dishonoring the Holy Spirit. It was unpardonable. Number four, practice self-discipline. Andrew Jackson is noted historically as having a very bad temper. To the point he was so well known for it when he was running for office to become the president of the United States. People who were running against him actually tried to entice him to lose his temper. Thinking if he loses his temper, he thus will be that man we could thus pin and win the election. So under sheer discipline and knowing that he could not be what he naturally inclined to be, he had to use discipline. And number five, though I changed the wording a little bit, Andrew Jackson was super tough. It is very clear from this scenario that I give real quickly. In 19, excuse me, in 1835, Jackson was leaving a funeral when a deranged man by the name of Richard Lawrence approached the president wielding not one, but two pistols. Lawrence leveled one of the guns and pulled the trigger. It failed. He pointed at Jackson with the other pistol, which misfired as well. Without blinking, the 68-year-old president went after Lawrence with a cane, striking him several times before the crowd subdued the soon-to-be assassin. The definition of a man. Globally, the definition is defined by society or culture. Globally, we have ideas from the West, from the East, from different continents of what a man is supposed to be. But in our context, to keep it simple, these are some of the things that one might expect. You might expect a breadwinner or one who's sports or athletically inclined. You might expect someone who's technologically savvy, one who's quite competitive or playful, one who's free-spirited or one who fixes things. You might expect one who conquers or one who lacks emotion. You might expect heroes or strength. And the list goes on, but these are the images we come to rely on when we think of men. So I ask the question now, what is the ideal man? Amen. That is correct. Does this man that we envision, must he have looks, charisma? Is he good with talking with the ladies? Is he athletic and intelligent? Or is he witty? 
when we think of the ideal man, we, we are thinking of something that we see on a regular basis. But let's look at something in which I'm going to take us a little bit deeper. A poem, as we have many times heard, is called The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Robert Frost talks about coming to a pathway where there's two paths. Looking at both paths, both paths look predictably the same. Each one looks no different than the other. As he looks at both paths, he must decide which one to take. As the poem concludes, it concludes by him saying, And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how ways lead on way. I doubt if I could ever come back. And he says, I shall be telling that the sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two worlds diverged in woods, and I took the one was traveled by. And that has made all the difference. In life, it's true the decisions we make make all the difference. If we take one road or the other, that can make all the difference. Let's turn our Bibles to Proverbs 20, verse 6. Proverbs 20, verse 6. And when you're there, please say amen. It reads, most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Hmm, a faithful man. Let's see if we could elaborate that a little bit. Let's turn to Luke 16, verse 10. Luke 16, verse 10. We come to see in Luke 16, verse 10, as it says, He who is faithful, using that same word, and what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. As we start to see, or to better paint, we start to see that God's expectations are a little bit bigger than ours. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. And it reads, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Some time back, Back in February, there was a talk that I did, a sermon I did on pursuing excellence, calling Chasing Infinity. One thing that I wanted to extract from that is a word in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10 that says, whatsoever in the Old English and whatever in the New. It's a word that's all-encompassing. So when you find something to do, you give it your all. 
And as we go through, we start to realize that a faithful man that's lacking is a man who is giving his all in all that he touches and does. So it's a man that does it in, as a parent or as a businessman, as a student, through the church, and through all aspects of his life. In fact, God is showing us how he works on a regular basis with the universe. As we go back to the very beginning, we see in Genesis 1 verse 3 that God said, as we all know, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and he saw that it was good. As we go through, we see that over and over until we get to the end, which is verse 31, where we see a parallelism where God says, God looks at everything that he made and declares it good. So to be and to understand and to grow in the context and the likeness of God, when we exert everything that we look at, we must acknowledge it in our hearts as good. To give a story that many of us have heard before, but I think it's worth reckoning, there's an Olympian by the name of Derek Redman who was running the 400-meter dash in 1992. As he's halfway through, he pulls a hamstring and falls to the ground. Men and medics come to help him, and he pushes them away, determined to fulfill the race. As he gets up, and he limps, and limps the other half of the race, there's pushing in the crowd, shoving in the crowd, and a man jumps over the fence, and runs towards him. Security tries to grab the man, but the man outruns them. The man is his father, who picks him up and helps his son walk the last stretch of the race. Right before the finish line comes, the athlete tells his father, I got this. And he walks the last stretch to the finish line. Now, the father is later interviewed and asked, how does it feel that your son did what he did? And the father states, excuse me, more than any gold medal, I am proud of that man. So principle number one, a faithful man, as Solomon describes, is one, once he is given an action, gives it with all his might. The Bible continues to supply us with other ideas of what God is looking for in a faithful man. Let's turn to Matthew 5, verse 46. Matthew 5, verse 46. When you're there, please say amen. And it goes, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? 
do not even the collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? In verse 48, as we know so well, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, we all are pursuing perfection, but there's a point that Jesus is trying to make. There are good people everywhere, but the ones he's calling to be faithful go the extra mile. To paraphrase it, God is saying, give it all you have as a man, and I as God will give it all I have as God. If we turn to Mark 14, verse 8, we see a story where a person does such that. We see a story of the woman who's about to anoint Jesus' feet, and it reads, She had done what she could. She had come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. A question can be asked, is it possible if we give our all that someone might be able to give more than we do? Is it possible that our all might not be better than the next person's all in a certain area of life? Yes. But God is not asking us to give our all to compete against others. God is asking us to give our all to compete against ourselves, to push ourselves closer and closer to him. In God's Amazing Grace, page 271, it reads, The Lord expects his servants to excel others in life and character. He has placed every facility and command for those who serve him. The Christian is to look upon the whole universe as one that strives for mastery, running the race set before him, that they may obtain the prize even as an immortal crown. But if he who professes to love God does not follow him and manifest his motives as those above the world, then he could lose. He is to make use of every power entrusted to him that he may overcome the world, the flesh, the devil through the Holy Spirit and by grace abundantly. It might sound like competition, but think of it in the context of this. One connected to a power source should be brighter than one not. So when God is looking at us who are supposed to be connected to him, he expects us to do a little bit more than those not. It isn't that we are trying to beat them. It's just that if I'm investing in you, I'm expecting more out of you. So principle number two, faithful men constantly work to go higher than the normal. Now, what man does not like to excel and beat others? I mean, we are sports watchers, are we not? Which man does not want to be categorized as genius or a guru or a victor? One who's on top of his game, one who knows his craft very well. Which is a very common natural inclination. But there's something... God points out is even more important than that. He points out the principle of discipline. 
1988, Nike released a commercial that shows an older gentleman running on the San Francisco Gate Bridge. As he's running, he's telling the audience, every day I run 17 miles back and forth to home. And as he's running, it's asked, so what happens when it gets cold? The man smiles. If I must leave my teeth in the clocker, I will run 17 miles and back. And the thing says, just do it. The discipline that God is expecting of us means the course you pick, you keep moving continually. There'll be times when things get in the way. There'll be times when there's challenges. But as a faithful man, you're expected to keep moving forward. As many of you know, I'm a Navy reservist. And we have to go through this beautiful thing called um, boot camp. And boot camp is a two months of bliss where you intimately understand things that are not comfortable, not become comfortable. Well, there was a thing or a concept where you are exercised, in quotation marks, to be motivated, in quotation marks. And in the process of being exercised, our instructors have little cards, or had, I'm not there anymore, but had little cards where they had all these beautiful exercises on them to remind them of great ways to motivate us. One day, after 40 or 50 minutes of being motivated, the whole group, with very little energy left, decided that we would like to uh, give up. And in the course of that, we looked at our instructor who had 17, 18 years in the Navy. And there was complaints and murmuring to him as to why can you be so cruel? I mean, motivating. And he looked at us. He gave that smile from experience. And he said, build a bridge and get over it. There are times you have to keep moving forward. It's not always comfortable. It's not always fun. But as a faithful person, you keep moving forward. So principle number three, faithful men stick to the course of action they've committed to. Now, the excellence that we're talking about is not something that's just an action. For if you think about it, a bird, if it does not fly, is still a bird. A bee who does not make honey is still a bee. Intrinsically, that's what they are. If they decide to do it or not, they still are what they are. An excellent character is intrinsically what it is. So we can't say, I am working towards excellence. I'm working to be excellent. And as we go through, we realize that excellence then will not be determined by external circumstances as much as internal development. So if a person in life doesn't give me the big enough tip, the raise, the money, the grade, the accolades, 
the praise, I will still excel anyways. So excellence is not determined by what's going on, on the outside as much as what is going on in the inside. As the gospel worker says, they should be men who in character, in word, in deportment, with honor to the cause of Christ, teach the truth, living the truth, growing up in a full stature in Christ Jesus himself. So faithful men excel because they are excellent. So these four principles among many is what the Bible is talking about in a faithful man. The only problem is there's just not a lot of them in context to the other men. So when the word, Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, most men will proclaim their goodness. They'll talk about how good they are. In all honesty, where are the faithful men? In the world, we have different ways of saying manliness, different ways of showing off who we are. But I'd like to close with a story that puts into perspective what God is trying to do in the men's lives today. Kind of like the art of manliness, I will give an illustration of a story. A famous educator by the name of Booker T. Washington wanted to get an education. In the time frame that he lived in 1830s, that was not quite a possibility until he overheard in a very poor community of West Virginia that there was a school in the coast of Virginia where people of his color can learn. He didn't know how far the school was. He had no money to get there, but he wanted to learn. So in the course of that, he worked his way and traveled. 500 miles of hitchhiking and pedaling until he got there. He walks in. By this point, he's dressed in rags because of the journey. And he knocks on the door, and the head instructor asks him how she could help him. And he says, I'm here to learn. She looked him over, was not impressed, and told him, thank you, son. But no. He sat there and he watched. For the only opportunity that he knew of to learn was about to be snatched from him. So as he sat there and he watched other kids being accepted, he realized he had one chance to prove himself. So he asked her, is there anything I could do to learn? And as he writes in his autobiography, excuse me, autobiography, it says, she gave him the rule to clean this room spick and span, and maybe, just maybe, you might have the opportunity to learn. It occurred to me, he says, this was my chance. Never did I receive any order with more delight. I knew that I would sweep, for Mrs. Roofer, her name had been, had thoughtfully taught, him, taught me how to do that and how to live. I swept that room for three, three times. I got dusting cloth and I dusted it four times. All the woodwork around the walls and benches and the desk, I went through four more times. Besides, every piece of furniture had been moved and every closet and corner of the room had thoroughly been cleaned. 
I had the feeling that in a large measure my future depended upon the impression I made upon this teacher in cleaning this one simple room. When I was through, I reported to the head teacher. She was a Yankee, as they say, and knew just where to find the dirt. She went in the room with her and inspected the room. She took out her handkerchief and rubbed it across the woodwork and the walls and over the tables and the benches when she was unable to find one bit of dirt on the floor or a particle of dirt or dust on the furniture she quietly marked. I guess you will be part of this institution. And the rest is history for this gentleman started universities and worked with presidents of the world. So as we look at the two paths, men and women of the church, there are two paths to look at. One path and the other look the same. As Frost said, one path and the other felt the same. But every so often, taking that less traveled path is the one that would be the blessing of life. God has called us to travel that less path, common path. And he wants us to take that way and to venture down it. So let us take the path that leads to the throne itself. Amen.